0: The following interview was recorded with Scott Smith from the Recovering From Religion podcast and is shared here with their permission. Anthony Magabasco is
1: a friend, fellow Recovering From Religion volunteer, and street epistemology proponent. Anthony's had about a thousand conversations with people regarding why they hold their beliefs to be true utilizing the street epistemology method. He has over 300 of these conversations captured on video which you can view on Anthony's YouTube channel. We'll put a link to his YouTube channel and contact information for Anthony in the show notes. So Anthony, welcome to the show. Usually when we interview someone, they're about a thousand miles away and we're talking to them over Skype, but you're actually in my studio today and we're making eye contact with each other. And I think that's just so much better.
0: I think this is the first time I've been interviewed face to face in a studio like this. And I prefer this. I would love to, you know, I like to have the back and forth and where I can see your face, your facial reactions, as opposed to doing it over the phone. So this is so cool.
1: Yeah. And so this episode is about maintaining relationships with believers and street epistemology. And we thought that we would talk to you about SE because you are the expert when it comes to street epistemology and how did it all start for you? how did you get this going? You have a YouTube channel, where you have videos of conversations with total strangers. How did this all start for you?
0: It started about three years ago when I read Dr. Peter Boghossian's book called A Manual for Creating Atheists. And I wanted to give it a try, so I strapped on a camera and went out and started talking to people. And it wasn't really until I started receiving feedback from other people who were familiar with the method, who were giving me advice to say, you should have never asked that question, or I love how you asked that question, that feedback helped me improve at the method to the point where you see today i've uploaded several hundred videos to my channel mm-hmm. i've tucked my favorites into a playlist if you want to get a sense of what those are like you can go ahead and check those out so it's 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 been a process and i don't think i'm i've reached the end either i don't think that i'm the best that i can be at this method or the most effective there's nothing like practice and I will probably keep practicing at this until I die. Mm. (laughs) I just want to keep getting better and better at it and show my best examples to the public so that while I understand that you would never, there are many people who would never contemplate going out and initiating a talk. If you watch a few of my videos or videos from other people who are having these types of conversations and recording them, that you might be more prepared so that when that situation happens organically You could be more prepared to have a conversation where you're using street epistemology or what we call SE.
1: Okay. So the two of us were on an escalator, not an elevator. Let's just say I had an incident on an elevator one time and no, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) And um, anyway, I'm curious, (laughs) can you give us your escalator SE pitch?
0: So my little escalator pitch would be I place pebbles in people's shoes. So that ultimately one day they will decide to address the pebble. So if I had time to expand on that, I would, I would go, f- I would f- go further to say that we like having conversations with people and ask questions to help the person think about how they formed the belief. What methods did they use to arrive at the conclusion that a God exists or that karma is real? Or that there's a ghost squeaking the cabinet in their kitchen. These are all conversations that I've had. And by asking Socratic questions and repeating it back, what you're hearing, and digging deeper and deeper, oftentimes people discover that the methods they're using to conclude that their beliefs are true are unreliable. And that moment of self discovery is the pebble being placed so that later, when they're alone with their thoughts, they can think about that discussion. And possibly find better reasons to keep the belief or more than likely begin the process of discarding a belief that's untenable
1: okay so how does SE differ from a typical debate
0: mmm well in a typical debate particularly between atheists and believers atheists will usually start presenting facts because we're typically rational people and Well, if I were to show you a fact that you were mistaken, of course, this is going to change your mind, right? Well, it doesn't work that way. There's something called the backfire effect, where if you present somebody with contradictory evidence to the belief that they hold, they will usually ignore your evidence Mm -hmm. and double down and believe what they believe even more. So this approach is not concerned about what you believe or even why. We want to understand how. Let's discuss the method you used To arrive at your conclusion Mm
2: -hmm.
0: by keeping the discussion focused on the methodology and not what and not and by by resisting the temptation to point out Bible verses that contradict what they say resisting the temptation to provide provide them with facts that contradict what they say ridiculing them resisting the temptation to ridicule Mm -hmm. and so forth this seems to be the best way to help a person re-examine their belief formation process and potentially Discard their belief outright.
1: I see. So the hundreds and hundreds of debate videos on YouTube between a believer and non-believer, and sometimes between two different beliefs, uh, they very they are completely different from your videos. I, I don't recall one of your videos addressing the Bible or the Quran or anything else. I mean, you may address what they believe, just to be clear, but then you just start talking about why they believe it, and why they hold it to be true. Mm-hmm. Why did you start doing these videos? I mean, what mm. motivated you to make this into a hobby?
0: Mm. So there's a lot of reasons why I got into it. But let me just quickly touch on something that I think is very important. There are debates that people will watch on YouTube or something where there's an atheist pres- providing facts to a creationist to show why they're mistaken. hmm That creationist is probably not going to change her mind during that conversation, but the thousands of people that watch that YouTube video could potentially be affected by that. So there is a time and a place. There's a venue. There's a venue for providing facts, and there are situations where, depending on your goals, where that's advisable. But if you're having a one-on-one conversation and you want to help the person that you're speaking to, think about how they form their belief, then... Providing them with facts is going to backfire more than likely, and the SE approach is better.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, so I want to get that out of the way. There, these are different tools for different situations, and I will occasionally use the let me provide you facts that is going to backfire on this person, but might help the ten other people that are watching. So, the, okay,
2: mm-hmm.
0: why did I start to rec- record this? Well, part of it was somewhat selfish. I wanted to have a record of my progress so I could review the encounter again and See where I messed up. I would upload some videos, but make them unlisted so that only a few people can watch them and get feedback Mm -hmm. And then I started realizing hey if I upload even if even if it's a poor example I can upload it to YouTube and 50 people would weigh in and I would get the best advice now sometimes we're talking about YouTube comments here so some people would say, well, Anthony, you're stupid. You're just as bad as as the, the evangelizers. We shouldn't be on the offensive. What are you doing? I think they're missing the point. The feedback that I would get from people who are observing this stuff was valuable. It was helping me get better and better at it. So that was another reason why I decided to upload it. Another reason why I would upload my encounters is I wanted to show atheists that when it comes time to having a conversation about a deeply held belief that your loved one has, mm-hmm. your aunt, your spouse, a co-worker, there's a, def- there's a different way. There's a better way. I think there's a more effective way in having those conversations where you avoid the backfire effect. You can plant the seed of doubt and have the person think about it and have that seed germinate over time. And that seems to be the most effective way to help people look at those beliefs.
1: And in these conversations that you have with people, typically at the beginning of the interview, you'll ask them how strong their belief is on the scale of zero to 100. And they'll give you an answer. And toward the end of most of these conversations, you'll ask them the same question. Where are you on your faith scale now? Sometimes they'll go down. Sometimes they'll tell you the same answer. But I've noticed that oftentimes, even if it's the same answer, it'll take them at least twice as long to get that answer out. And I think that's a pretty good indication that you got them to start thinking about their beliefs. And it's very possible that for many of the people you talk to, that's the first time they've ever thought about their belief, ever.
0: Good point. So yes, I do like to get a sense of where a person is at before we start the talk in terms of their confidence that the belief is true. And then I like to do a post-test and see if they've changed. And sometimes they indicate, no, I'm still 90% confident that Allah exists. Okay. But yes, sometimes they'll take a little bit more time to give that answer. They're thinking about it. And that that I think is the success, is is not necessarily seeing movement right then and there, but getting a confirmation that the person has slowed down to take a moment to think about how they form this belief. I think very few people do that. Hmm very few people I've run to people on the trail I've run into a 70 year old person who said that he was never asked how he determined that his God was real never in 70 years and that is a crime Mm -hmm. so yeah this is this is not just about seeing immediate movement on the scale but encouraging people to reflect a little bit take a little bit more time and reflect on how they form their belief did I use a reliable method to come to this conclusion And if they value truth, if they're being honest with themselves, they will either realize that I need to find a better reason to hold this belief or they will start beginning the process to abandon the belief. Right.
1: So about how many people have you talked to and recorded video and how many videos do you have on your YouTube channel right now?
0: I've had easily a thousand conversations with people. Wow, I don't upload every video. I think there's about 300 on my channel. Uh, I've had a lot of talks with people, and, and oftentimes I don't even have my camera with me. I'm on an airplane and somebody sits down with me and they have a prosperity, a book by a prosperity author, prosperity Bible mm-hmm. type of stuff, and we just start chatting. You know, and it's, it's like one of the best conversations I've ever had, but it was never recorded. So uh, I do like to record them if I can. I do have a lot of people that will message me now over social media, hardcore apologists. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I've had this belief for 20 years, or I've just recently acquired this belief, but I know that it's true. Let's go. Uh, Let's start engaging. And I will oftentimes do that if I have time. Sometimes I don't have the time, but it would really be more worthwhile if it could be recorded or captured in some way. So sometimes I'll offer, can we do it over Skype rather than text-based? Mm-hmm. I really prefer to be face-to-face, like we talked about earlier. It's, mm-hmm. it's so much more advantageous to be able to read a person's body language right. as you're forming these questions. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I try to upload as many as I can.
1: And speaking of body language, when
0: you ask questions, I like their
1: facial expression. You know, you can almost see the wheels turning in their head, and they've probably never, ever turned on these topics ever before. And what's the percentage of people that you say, hey, do you have time for a five-minute chat? What's the percentage of those folks that agreed to the chat?
0: Okay, so, yeah, so I usually stand out in, in a park or something or the entrance to a trail, all my camera with me pointing down, a little whiteboard. And I do somewhat self-select. There, there's some bias going on there. So, for example, if somebody's walking by very quickly, I might not ask them because they look busy. But of the people that I ask, I would say a quarter of them, maybe a third, will stop and agree to talk to me. It's mm-hmm. pretty high. Like, and and oftentimes I'll even live stream while I'm doing it because I want people to see what a typical day is like. So right. I have, I, I have a, an account on Periscope and people can watch me live. So they can get a sense of how many people are walking by and I'm not asking. They can get a sense of how many people that I do ask mm-hmm. who agree or not. It's high. Most people, I think even though it's odd to be asked to stop and chat for five minutes about a deeply held belief, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: most people agree to do it. And I have some, I I have some ideas on why that might be the case. I I think people aren't often asked to explain these things and they're eager to. Mm -hmm. And this is finally an outlet to tell somebody why I think this, or I've never been asked that that's really interesting. And they just get sucked into it. So people I think enjoy these, enjoy having these talks.
1: The first thought I would have is this guy is trying to sell me something. And that
0: would probably be why I would be reluctant. I have had people say, what are you selling? What is this all about? What right. is your objective? Mm-hmm. And I try to be very clear right from the very start um, what, I'm, what I'm doing out here. Mm-hmm. I, I'd like to have short conversations with people. I want to stand, understand how they form their belief. I'd like to get a sense of how confident you are. There's even a possibility by the end of the uh, short talk that you might be less confident that this belief is true. I started working in a little bit of a warning mm-hmm. after people have suggested that I might start doing that. Of course, having given the warning, people now say, oh, you're priming them for change by doing that. Right. You really can't win. But, yeah, I try to be very upfront as far as what I'm doing. They seem intrigued by it. And oftentimes they, they've seen me out there before talking to people and noticing people are really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. So it's not as threatening as maybe it might per- be perceived to be. I see.
1: So your interviews, most of them take place on a college campus downtown
0: or out in the park. Do mm-hmm. you prefer one over the other? I prefer look at the different locations for different reasons. So while I love the college university because these are younger adults who are in a learning environment and used to being questioned about the beliefs that they hold, mm-hmm. not just, I mean, I'm not just talking about God beliefs, but their whole worldview is really being questioned while they're there. It's often noisy and sometimes there are a lot of distractions. And oftentimes people are are usually in pairs or more. It's a little harder to to have a good conversation when somebody's friend is standing by. Mm-hmm. I love the trail because these are older people. I wanted to experiment and kind of talk to a more of a older demographic they tend to have more time on their hands. They're not rushing to a class. They've actually Mm -hmm. carved out two hours for a hike so that they're there. They're usually there for a little bit more introspection and to get some exercise and to think about things. Mm -hmm. Uh, When I'm done speaking with them, then they're on a trail for another two hours thinking about the talk that they had. Mm -hmm. So there are different advantages for different locations. I see. And there are some some downsides too for each.
1: So just off the top of your head, how many different beliefs have you addressed do you think
2: mm.
0: topics different topics
1: well as, as far as different religions or different beliefs obviously um, probably talk to more christians than anything else just
0: based on where we live I find a lot of christians i have had many of com- many conversations with muslims pagans people who think god is love and they're spiritual and it's a very nebulous kind of god mm-hmm. they don't describe to a particular r- religion Right. Or doctrine I've had a lot of conversations with people who believe in karma. They think karma uh, some sort of Governing force that's making justice happen uh, They believe in karma magic ghosts. We've talked about all sorts of different political discussions uh, I I I prefer the supernatural things actually if if it's a belief that a person has that tends to motivate them to behave in certain ways mm-hmm. So if they are superstitious and they always no, don't they, they avoid stepping on cracks, mm-hmm. that's the person I want to talk to, and somebody that really, really thinks that it's true. When somebody's wishy-washy on a belief, yeah, maybe ghosts exist, I'm 30% confident a ghost exists, well, I can still have that talk, but it's much more enjoyable, and I think it's, the conversations are more meaningful for the person that I'm speaking with if it's a deeply held belief that they really think is true. Messy. Interesting.
1: And SE, of course, isn't just for beliefs and gods and stuff like that. It could be almost anything, I guess, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. We talk about all different start, sorts of things. I've had conversations with people about the economic system in Mexico, to whether it's wrong to burn the American flag, to the moon landing. God is really my favorite. Mm-hmm. If I, if I, if I could pick, and I could, I could just say, I'm here to talk about God beliefs, but I I now just leave it open because I want viewers to understand that this is not just about disabusing somebody of a God belief. This is about asking questions to help people examine their belief formation process and strive to believe things that are true. Mm -hmm. This is all about arriving at truths. And if the truth is that a God exists, then I would want somebody to engage in a conversation with me using this method to make sure that my confidence uh, in a God is aligned with reality. Okay. So, at the
1: end of every conversation, you give the folks a business card. Do people contact you? And if so, what do you guys talk about? What's uh, the additional conversations
0: like? Mm. So back in the day, when I first started going out, I would just end the conversation, shake their hand, and never hear from them again. These days, I do give them a card with my contact information on it. It has an email address. And when I first started doing it, I was like, oh, nobody's ever going to email me. But people do. Hmm. I would say, hmm, maybe one out of seven people will email me with something. Okay. I want to. I'd like to update my definition of the word faith. Mm-hmm. I'd like to meet again so we can talk about this. I greatly enjoyed that talk, and you just have to talk to my mom next. That type of stuff. Oh well. Wow. Or where can I learn more about the method that you are using? Mm-hmm. Because I'm an atheist and I've been getting nowhere with with my friends, and I think this could be really helpful. That type of thing. Okay. So we get all sorts of different feedback. Yeah, yeah. People people do reach out, and I think they're. They've been given an opportunity to talk about something that they don't normally have a chance to, and this is an outlet for them, and they're eager to meet again. Usually, okay. With your interviews,
1: has anyone ever been uh, defensive? Has anyone just really gotten red faced and uh, closed up on you?
0: Hmm. Sure, sure. So the mere fact that I'm inquiring about a deeply held belief that is closely tied to their identity mm-hmm. can be very threatening to a person. Very, very threatening. And, and try as I might, and you can watch some of my videos to see how I, I introduce myself and get the conversation started. And it's a very non-threatening, mm-hmm. polite approach. I mean, I don't know what more I could do to make it easier. Right. But sure, still people will push back. And why are you out here? What are you doing? What do you believe? You know, that type of thing. Uh, that, that happens. So you know, And when it does, um, I just try to be upfront with what I'm doing and what my objectives are. Uh, but sometimes sometimes you there are situations where you just can't recover from that. People mm-hmm. are very defensive. They're closed off. They can even be aggressive. Mm-hmm. I've had some conversations with people that were just right from the get-go, just you don't belong here, and I don't know what you're doing, but I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And you just can't recover from it. So those are a little few and far between, but it does happen. But it's not enough to be discouraging. I, I find it interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm I'm actually curious why... People have that reaction. So even though somebody could be in my face yelling now, I feel like I have enough experience to distance myself from it mm-hmm. even and say, that's a really fascinating reaction. Can we talk about why you're being so upset right now?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And if they don't deck me, <laughs> then we can get into that. But no, almost always, it's a very, people are curious. They want to know what's going on. Uh, but sometimes that happens. Right. Hmm.
1: Now, A lot of your conversations are also live stream on Periscope, right? Mm -hmm. I love Periscope. And for those not familiar with it, it, it's a great tool. It works a lot like Facebook live streaming. And it's pretty cool because between Facebook and Twitter, uh, those two things just were not wasting enough of my time. I always had five or ten minutes at the end of the day. And Periscope is just really cool. You can certainly set up uh, alarms to go off when Anthony starts doing a video you have a little reminder on your phone and you can watch those conversations live and that's pretty cool so within the atheist community you're a household name are you planning on doing anything else outside of the se world
0: mm. well the street epistemology is that that approach of helping people reexamine their beliefs and the flip side of that the flip side of that is well where, do, where does a person go for the aftercare, Mm -hmm. when they start realizing, oh my gosh, I'm believing in this because I was raised that way. Mm -hmm. And it's all based on faith. And when they start to examine how unreliable that is, that could be a scary thing. So what I I would like to get into next, or at the very least compliment what I'm doing with SE, is to start becoming more familiar with the resources that are available to people who are doubting. Mm -hmm. Uh, who are looking for community resources like RFR Mm -hmm. where they can go and talk to somebody that type of thing somebody that's not going to instill doubt like I do but somebody that will listen to them Mm -hmm. non-judgmentally and give them the resources that they need right so I think developing that the other thing is while SE seems to be taking off and a lot of people are familiar with my work this isn't about me I don't have any special skills I have just worked very hard At the at the method that anybody can learn there are resources available now for people to learn this There are many other people that are uploading videos to YouTube and I try to promote that as much as possible This method isn't about Anthony. This method is about helping people so While it's flattering That so many people will reach out and say that they like the videos or want me to come on their podcast I'm doing this because I want to I want to promote the method Okay. This is, I don't have any special, this isn't some special Jedi mind trick that only Anthony knows how to do. This is something that anybody can learn. So I want people to be encouraged to learn it and practice it and start putting it into place because this could be the most effective way to change the world for the better. It might seem like an overstatement, but I've been doing it for so long and I can see how effective it is and I'm baffled that it hasn't It hasn't picked up beyond the atheist movement. So in addition to creating a landing place for people that are post SE conversations, Mm -hmm. I think I want to help promote this so that we can actually break out of the atheist bubble and start having people just routinely do this for their everyday beliefs.
1: Getting back to your conversations you have with folks, you ask them how they found their belief. What's the percentage that say, my parents had this belief. I was brought up believing this.
0: Mm. A good, oh, a good half will just immediately say that that's the reason mm-hmm. I was raised that way. And the people that don't say that initially, usually after a few questions about how you formed this belief, it will usually come down. Yeah. I had that miracle experience, but it was because I was raised that way. That's the reason why I think that that experience was this specific God Mm -hmm. So how you were raised is such a huge is such a huge thing Coming out and telling somebody the only reason you think that this is true is because you were raised that way you realize that right? (laughs) Defensive people get defensive. You need to ask questions to help them discover that if that's the case right when I meet somebody who believes in a God, I don't know that that's the reason why I, I assume that they have a good valid justifiable repeatable testable reason for holding their belief. I always try to be open to the possibility that they might be correct, that this might be the one person that could demonstrate to me that they used a reliable way to conclude that their God exists.
1: Right.
0: But that's a very common one. Hmm. Sure, I was raised that way. I think that it's true. I think that Vishnu is real because I was raised that way. I was taught that this was true. I see.
1: Yeah, I would say that the vast majority of um, mainstream religions anyway would be because their parents held that belief. Maybe new agey things, maybe they picked up on that as a young adult or something, but that's just my theory anyway. Anyway, you said something about a movement. What's
0: that about? Mm. Well, SE is a powerful method, technique for helping people think about the beliefs that they have in their mind Mm. and, and evaluating how they formed it. And if they should continue holding it, but that, that experience, that process doesn't need to be just restricted to questioning people about the God of belief. It could be used for anything. So what I would like to start seeing is people learning this method when they're very young. This is something that atheist parents can be doing with their kids. We can be teaching our kids to use Socratic questioning when the next time they're at school and one of their classmates says that they're going to hell. You know, well that's interesting why do you you know why do you think that that's the case how did you come to that conclusion that that's true you can teach we've actually had reports of children who have parents who are learning street epistemology and watching the videos mm. relating stories where their kids were engaging with this
1: Wow.
0: so yeah so when I say movement I'm I think that this needs to be viewed in a social construct in a social this needs to be a social movement we need to have more people using this on a regular basis reporters questioning the press secretary of any administration should be asking Socratic questions. And I think that they should be working in tandem. If there was an unacceptable answer or something that was interesting that was that was offered as the response, the next person that asks a question should build off of that. Mm-hmm. They should all be working in concert to drive to truth. So, So yeah, I would love to see this just become so popular that we'd one day look back at this and say, I can't believe we never did that. This should just be as common as breathing, right? in my view.
1: And you mentioned kids. Um, I've used SE on our kids before. If they tell me there's a monster underneath your bed, it's like, well, why do you think that? It's like, well, there's monsters on TV under a bed and on a cartoon. You know, I think there's one underneath my bed. It's like, well, is there anything else on TV that's not real? and five minutes later we're talking about something else excellent and it's a whole lot better than just saying shut up there's no monster go to bed Mm -hmm. That, that doesn't work very well at all
0: right right yeah this this is something that i think should just become second nature to anybody whether you believe in a god or not i would love to see theists people that believe in a specific god become familiar with the method and and there have been people it's funny uh when SE when street epistemology first came out there were a lot of believers that we were complaining that we were asking so many questions to confuse or equating what we do to the knockout game where you jump out and just just clock somebody uh, and now we're seeing believers recognize SE and even attempt to mimic it mm-hmm. so i think that's a good sign that that uh, they're understanding that it's effective and that they need to have a response to it, some sort of proper response to it. Besides just saying, avoid talking to them. Mm-hmm.
1: So there was a church that actually showed
0: videos of you. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right, right. I was, I don't know how I first heard about it, but uh, apparently there were some Christian apologists who their their job they write books and they go around and they teach people how to defend the faith, mm-hmm. uh, how how you can best defend your your justification for God. What they what they seem to fail to realize is that when you're using SE, it's not at all about providing counter apologetics. That's the best way to result in the backfire effect, and mm-hmm. you're not going to make any progress. With street epistemology, we'll acknowledge that you're raising an apologetic, a defense,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but we we're focused on the method that you used. So, anyways, these apologists were going around and warning people about SE. And and I ended up putting together a couple of response videos to show here's what they're saying about it And here's what we're actually doing mm-hmm. and I didn't even comment it. I, I was just sort of showing this is what they say This is what we're doing. This is what they say. This is what we're doing and And come to find out that the complaints against se from the from the apologetics community Seem to be going down and they seem to be more accepting of it and maybe even now kind of jumping on the bag, bandwagon how can we mimic what they're doing? This is really interesting. Let's start going out and asking people for five-minute conversations. But now let's talk about Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're they're getting it, but they're not quite getting it because it's not about promoting a worldview. It's asking how you formed it. Mm-hmm. And um, the second that you switch gears and say, "Okay, now I understand how you believe, how you came to your belief. Now let me tell you tell you what the right answer. Now let me tell you what the right answer is." Mm-hmm. That's where it stops becoming SE. This isn't about promoting a worldview. It's about asking how you formed yours.
1: Right. And in your interviews, you don't give them the answer. Right. You don't have the answer. You're just wanting them to think about their belief. I mean, I don't recall you ever saying, uh, we were looking for, uh, there's no God. (laughs) I don't don't think you've ever said that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's funny, too, because I'll have a, a conversation with somebody and all I've done is asked questions, and I listened. I'd repeated it back so that they can hear what they've said. They're hearing their own words come back to them. Right. And then they confirm that that's what they said. I ask another question: Is this what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what I'm saying. Oh, that's interesting. Hey, what, what about what about this? By the end of the talk, even though only I've only asked questions, they will say that was the best conversation. Thank you so much for telling me all about you. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling them about me. They're hearing themselves. Hmm. So tell the listener where they can find your videos and everything else about Anthony on the Internet. The best way to reach me or to find out anything about me just very simply is to go to my Twitter account. It's twitter.com forward slash You can find the link to my YouTube channel there. I have a playlist with my top 10 conversations. There's about 300 videos or so on my YouTube channel, but... Watch some of the more recent stuff. I feel like I've gotten better over time. But, yeah, you can definitely check out my work. There are are also some videos where you can find links to other people who are having these talks. This isn't just about me doing it. There are other people who are doing it, uploading content. Mm -hmm. There's no lack of resources out there. There's an app where you can learn it. And uh, I I love having a chance to speak with you about it.
1: Yeah. Now that you uh, brought up the app, and even though you've mentioned it on a previous episode, can you just briefly tell us about that app?
0: Yeah, the app is called Atheos, A-T-H-E-O-S. It's a great way to learn street epistemology without having to go on the street and initiate talks like you might see on YouTube. You're you're presented with these different scenarios and you can use it on an Android device or an iOS device. And you're in these different scenarios, whether you're talking to a Scientologist, a Mormon, a Muslim, a Christian, and they make some sort of claim. You're presented with a couple different responses. And then through the course of the training, you start learning which are the most appropriate responses if you're trying to learn street epistemology. Very quickly, you start learning, oh, that was something that I would say if I wanted to debate with them. Mm -hmm. That is not advantageous if I'm having a one-on-one conversation. Ah, that's the best response if I want to understand the method that they used. Okay, that's excellent.
1: All right, Anthony, I want to thank you for being on the show. And for being on the show, you will receive two free passes to Ken Ham's Ark Park in Kentucky.
0: Oh, okay, interesting. Can I bring my camera? Sure.
1: I expect you to conduct SE there, too. (laughs) All right, Anthony, thanks for being on the show, man.
0: Thank you, Scott. Enjoy the story from Callie Wright of the Theist Manifesto podcast.
2: My grandma was my best friend. She even told me once, and very quietly, that I was her favorite grandkid. I was the only one that ever took time to see her when I didn't have to. I always wanted to hang out with my grandma. She had all the best movies. We watched the old Disney Robin Hood movie over and over and over again. She had the best food, too, as grandmas tend to. As a kid, potatoes were my thing, and she had the best ones. She had a real deep fryer and this thing that would cut potatoes into curly fries. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. We also went to church together. I refused to go to kids' church because I wanted to stick around my grandma. I was also way more interested in what the adult pastor had to say than what the youth pastor had to say. He was so much more emotional and expressive. This guy was passionate. He'd fall to his knees begging people to come to Jesus. Please don't go to hell. I don't want to see anyone go to hell. I believed him too. And I believed what my grandma taught me about religion and what God wanted from his people. As a 12 or 13 year old kid, I won't pretend I had any sort of sophisticated understanding of religion, but on a basic level, I knew what sin was. I knew that unrepentant sinners went to hell. And most of all, I knew Grandma was going to Heaven, and I wanted to make sure I was there with her. She'd spend hours talking about what Heaven would be like. I'd get to see my Grandpa there. I'd get to meet aunts and uncles and great-grandparents I never knew. I was so excited about Heaven. I remember when I was old enough to understand what death meant, I asked my Grandma one of the realest questions I'd ever asked anyone as a kid. I said, Grandma, when you die, will you please come back and haunt me? I don't want to wait until I get to heaven to see you again she knelt down and pulled me in tight and held my head close to her chest and said sweetie it doesn't work that way when grandma dies you'll just have all the sweet memories of her to hold you over until we see each other again wasn't too long after that when I realized it was all bullshit the TLDR version is that I started really looking into Christianity and figured out that it didn't make much sense I told my grandma about my doubts, and she was of course very concerned. She asked if I'd agree to meet with her pastor. I was asking questions she couldn't answer, and she figured he was the right one to answer them. I'm not even sure I remember specifically what my questions were. I think they mostly surrounded things that were contradictory in the Bible. Her pastor was not a good apologist. His answers basically boiled down to this. It's not wrong to question. God gave us a curious mind, and that's a wonderful gift to have. You should explore your curiosity and ask questions, but you need to know that all the answers are in the Bible. If I remember right, I was 15 or 16 at the time. None of what he said sat right with me. If this is all really true, shouldn't you be able to look anywhere and see confirmation of what's in the Bible? So long story short, I eventually decided that Christianity didn't make any sense at all. I'd heard some cool things about Wicca, Nature was cool, the idea of being able to cast spells was cool, and of course it scared and pissed off the adults, and looking back, that was probably the most appealing part of it. My grandma caught me reading a book about Wicca, and you might have thought I killed someone. She was terrified. My grandma was very much a product of the satanic panic era. She believed in rock music being inherently satanic, hidden messages and mind control embedded in music and TV shows, and all the other paranoid things you hear from some Christians about the way the devil tries to lure good people away from God. She'd already been concerned about my music taste, and this was a very unwelcome development for her. I lost interest in Wicca after a few months, then, after one very brief rekindling of my Christian faith, I was left with atheism. I think I actually used the word to describe myself for the first time when I was 17 or so. I'd done a lot of reading, spent a lot of time with some friends who didn't believe in God, and that's just where I ended up. By then, as a teenager, I obviously didn't spend quite as much time as I used to with my grandma. I had banned things happening, girls to chase, shows to go to, and so on, but we were still close. One day I was at her house and we were talking. She asked me where I stood with the Lord. I knew this conversation was going to happen eventually and I was dreading it because I knew she wouldn't be happy. Even though I was scared, I was honest with her. I don't remember exactly how I phrased it, but it was something along the lines of, you know, Grandma, I just don't really think any of it's true anymore. I was surprised, but she didn't freak out like I thought she would. She was concerned, of course. She wasn't excited about it, but it didn't turn into the fight I thought it would. She was always willing to admit when she didn't have a good answer for the questions I asked, but her faith was enough for her. She grew up in an abusive household, and church was her only escape from that. It makes sense that her faith is such a comfortable place for her. It makes sense that she would hold tight to it even when confronted with questions she couldn't answer. The thing I always respected about her, though, was that her faith never seemed to take precedence over her relationship with me. We'd argue sometimes, and sometimes it'd get even a little heated, but we'd eventually come back around to just talking about life and laughing and having a good time. Then she'd cook me dinner and we'd watch TV together. I was really happy we could still be close even after I came out as an atheist. Then I came out as trans. My grandma was the single person in my life I was ready to lose a relationship with after coming out as trans. I'd heard the way she talked about queer and trans people, there were so many times before coming out I'd want to just scream in her face that you're you're talking about me. I wanted so badly to tell her how hurtful those things were to me, but I was afraid, so I kept quiet. But eventually I had to come out. I didn't have a choice. It would have killed me otherwise. I absolutely dreaded the day I came out to her. I was shaking as I sat down. I just sort of came out with it. I'm transgender. She didn't realize what it meant at first, so I had to nervously explain it to her. The whole time, I was ready for her to have a lightbulb moment and recognize what I was saying. I was waiting for it to hit her and for her to explode, but she didn't. She eventually got to understand what it meant, and I was crying pretty hard at this point. I struggled through my tears to tell her that I was afraid our relationship was going to end because of who I was. She calmly assured me that wasn't the case. I love you no matter what. You're my grandchild i helped raise you i love you those words hung in the air for a second i felt a ten-ton weight lift off of me then she continued but you know how i feel about that sort of thing it's just not biblical i was so happy that our relationship didn't end then and there that the weight of that last sentence didn't really hit me right away i mean honestly what else would i expect and I was thinking to myself at the time, man, that was, that was really the best I could have hoped for. When I got home from her house, I, I saw that she'd left me a voicemail. And I was eating dinner when she called, so I left it until later. I listened to the voicemail, and she told me she'd been doing some thinking, and that she was just sure that there was some kind of demon in me making me feel the way I feel that we needed to see someone and pray really hard so that demon would leave me and I'd get back to understanding who God truly wanted me to be. I didn't even call her back. Sometimes trans folks find that people in their lives feel differently about the reality of you being trans than they do about the idea of you being trans. When you tell them who you are, they're on board completely. You don't get pushed back until you ask them to actually change their behavior. My name is Callie now, my pronouns are she, her now. The real problems with my grandma started when I made these requests of her. She said she just didn't know if she could ever do it. She didn't even want to try. One night in particular, she began to lecture me about a life situation. I was in, she repeated what I had told her about my transition being a thing that would make me happier. And she observed that I didn't seem happier. See, when I was desperate to leave the job I was at, I started applying anywhere I thought would hire me. I applied to probably a dozen minimum wage retail jobs. She lectured me that I'd never be able to pay for all the surgery I wanted if I was working a job like that. She didn't get that I was doing this because I was so miserable I wanted to kill myself. I wasn't able to be Callie at the job I worked at the time. It was torture. I kind of lost control. I stood there in her kitchen, screaming my throat out and crying, trying to make her understand. Even though she was being kind of awful, I still to this day feel like an asshole for yelling at my grandma. She finally promised she would try. Well, I guess if it means that much to you. I realized at that point if I had to scream and cry just to get her to try to respect me, I'm not sure I wanted to try anymore. And she did continue to try to make the effort she mostly got my name and pronouns right she even bought me clothes and shoes sometimes but after that night things were just different there wasn't any going back her god blinders didn't let her see her granddaughter for who she truly is her god blinders won't let her be happy when I hopefully marry the woman I love her god blinders wouldn't let her take joy in the grandchild we may adopt at some point in the future She'll mourn the loss of her grandson and never celebrate the joy of her granddaughter living as the person she's always known herself to be. I can't handle that kind of hurt over and over. I haven't talked to my grandma in almost two years. It hurts. I miss laying in bed with her as a kid, watching old shows on Nick at Night. I miss having deep conversations about life. I miss my grandma. I am not at peace with this. I'm not sure there's anything left to do. She's in her 80s. I really don't think she's going to change her mind about what God thinks about me and therefore what she thinks of me. I imagine one day in the not-too-distant future I'm going to get that call, the one that tells me that my grandma died, and I have no idea how I'll feel.